0: Psalm 118 says, Out of my distress I called on the Lord, the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Yes, I shall not die, but I shall live yes. and recount the deeds of the Lord. Yes. You know, we just sang those words that said, My soul found a surgeon or a friend. My heart needs a surgeon. And I don't know. Um, who you are, specifically all the things that you're facing in your life. Um, But we also sang words that said that God brought me and had a perfect plan from the beginning of time. And so I know that you're here, not on accident, but specifically on purpose, according to His will. So I want to invite us to sit down, and I just want us to confess to the Lord our need. don't let those just be words that we sang, but I believe that the Lord brought you here. Do you need a surgeon? Are you sick? Not just physically sick, but spiritually, are you broken? Does your soul need a friend? The words of David that we just read, the song that we just sang testify, so many of us in this room testify that that friend has a name, his name is Jesus, and we have found that he is the friend who sticks closer than a brother, that he gives us hope. if you came here this morning, and you're not even sure why you came here, let me tell you, God's word says that you are here because he said you should be. If you came here this morning hurting, maybe until we even began singing, you didn't even know how the depth of your need But by the mercy of God, as you sang those words, you were overwhelmed with the reality that you need, you need something this world cannot offer, Then I invite you, I exhort you to trust in the name of the Lord. Don't trust in men, take refuge in the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. who laid down his life for every bit of brokenness that you're experiencing right now. Every failure, every heartbreak, Jesus went to the cross, took God's right wrath for you. And he calls us, he says, Put your faith, your trust in what I have already done. So friend, you can stop running. You can stop chasing after the wind. Jesus has done it all. Put your hope once and for all in him. Every person in this room's head is bowed and their eyes are closed. And I'm just going to ask something I don't do very often. If you need a friend, a spiritual friend, your soul needs a savior, raise your hand. You need a surgeon? Did you come in brokenhearted? Just lift your hand up and act physical act, a physical display of I need you, Jesus. I can tell you that I need him. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. We worship you. We give thanks for who you are. I do it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, well, good morning. my name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at city church, and it is uh great to be with you this morning. I do pray that you would know those words that we just sang. The words of scripture that we just read are true, that we can find hope in Jesus. Um, there really is no other reason for us to gather here. Um, we can uh, do all sorts of great things, but the reason that we're here is because we collectively know, those of us that continually to come together in this place called City Church, we know that we need a Savior, we know that we need Jesus. So we're not here because we think we've got it all figured out. We're not here because we're more righteous than the next. We're here because we have equality. Equality in our desperate need for a Savior. We're going to study in the book of Ephesians. In Chapter Five, we're beginning a new chapter this morning. Chapter Five, and if you haven't been with us, I'd invite you to catch up with our teaching series. You can do that online. Um, just go to our website, and you can find our podcast. You can find, um, you can listen through the website, whatever technological means you uh, invest in or choose to use. You can do, you can basically do that, and you can catch up with us. But in Chapter Five, and really beginning in Chapter Four, as we started a couple weeks ago, we have made a turn, a little bit of a transition from. Um, the chapters 1 through 3 that talk to us about who we are, and now we get into the real practical life application of what we are to do. How are we supposed to live? What are our lives supposed to look like as Christians? And I find it interesting how often that we think to ourselves, I don't know if you've ever had this thought. I've had this thought many times, and this thought, this question in a sense has been proposed to me many times in pastoral kind of conversations and counseling opportunities, that we want to know, what does God have to say about a particular matter? I don't know, did anyone this morning or this week find yourself thinking, I wish I understood, I wish I knew what God had to say about this? I need an answer. Y'all are not really in the mood to raise hands this morning, but that's where you could just probably say, "I I needed an answer of something. I needed to know what I was supposed to do. I was confused. I didn't. And I, I wished." And you pled in your heart, you you, in, in, in a private prayer time, you probably thought to yourself, "Man, I wish God's word was more clear. I wish it was more specific." How often people, again, they come to me and they say, hey, I'm considering this or that. I want to know, does does God's Word have anything to say about that? And my answer is, yes, God's Word has a lot to say about that, but not in those specific terms. We're going to have to kind of unpack a little bit. It might think thematically or think, um, uh, you know, more structurally. Uh, I, I joke a lot, but usually if I'm having a conversation with a man about marriage and I think to myself, I'm having maybe an internal conversation with Ryan about marriage, the answer is, yes, I am supposed to die. That's what, the, that's what God's Word said. I'm supposed to die to myself. And I have to remind myself of that, but I don't usually like to do that. That's not always in my, you know, it's not what comes more naturally, most naturally to me. But it, isn't it interesting that we would love to hear, specifically, so often, God sort of fill in the blank or the answer to our question very directly, but... When it comes to matters where he has already spoken explicitly clear, we find ourselves thinking, I better come to God's defense. I better explain this. I better help kind of soften the blow on this a little bit because I'm not sure that God's character can withstand his word. That's a fallacy. That's our own pride and our own thought thinking that we know better than God himself. God's word doesn't need our defense he has spoken, he has been clear, and there are many things where he has been clear. In the text that Miss Elizabeth read for us this morning from Ephesians chapter 5, he's very clear. He's very explicit. and yet as Christians, how often we forget we forget what his word has already said. And sometimes we find ourselves thinking, who? I don't know if I want to say that out loud. I don't know if I want to be that explicit. I don't know if I should, can defend. I need to kind of help God along here, soften that a little bit. But when we look at God's Word and what he, how He instructs us to live, He has been clear. And in this text, we are going to see Him speaking very clearly to one of the greatest challenges that our culture will face, and that's sexual depravity. The the, the immorality that exists and has become pervasive in our culture, God has spoken about, and he has given us as Christians clear instructions. Now, I want to begin at the the end of the text that was read for us, what Pastor Matt even referenced as we were singing, in this reminder of who we are called to be and why we are called to be what we are. In verse 8 of chapter 5, Paul says, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. In order for us to rightly understand who we're called to be or the way that we're supposed to live, we've got to first, as we keep talking about week after week, remember our identity, who we are in Christ. Paul says that you were at one time darkness. Previously in chapter 2, he was even more clear and kind of expounded upon that, that we we were lost. We were completely far from God. We were dead people. But through Christ, we have been made alive. Through Christ, we have become the light of the world. And so we start there because in order for us to understand sort of the right actions and how we are supposed to live, we've got to have that identity clearly in our minds. The reason that sometimes the church has failed to have a prophetic witness in, the, in, in, the, in terms of this subject, in the area of purity, in the area of moral and, and, and right living, is because we've wrongly put the emphasis on the action ahead of the identity, We've gotten it backwards and we've said, if I act and do this, 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 and this, then I will become this thing over here. If I don't do these lists of things, or if you, a lot of times the preacher would be saying, if you don't do these things, then you can become something over here. You can become who you're supposed to be. But that's not the order that Scripture works. The order of the text, all three chapters of Ephesians, speak to who we are, who we have become, who we have been made through Christ. And it's because of who we are in Christ that we now take action and we live in accordance with that new identity. So I want to speak to anyone in this room who, at this moment in time, you would say, I don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I may be attended church, but I've followed him. I don't, I don't understand that. When you talk about something being uh, taken from darkness into the light, that doesn't, that doesn't, that's not who I am. When I talk about being raised from, from, to life from death, that doesn't, again, it doesn't compute. I don't want you to hear anything from me or, and then subjected to God's word that says, if you do these things, that's what will happen. If you do these things, then God will love you. If you live the right way, then God will accept you. I want you to hear the good news of the gospel, that while I was dead in my trespasses, God made me alive through Christ. And because He made me alive, because He transferred me according to His grace and mercy from darkness into light, I now live differently. I live in submission to this word. He is now my authority. Don't get that backwards, friends. Don't hear, don't allow the enemy to try and convince you of that. Believe in what Jesus has done, what we just spent time praying. Believe that your heart needs a surgeon. Your soul needs a friend. And if you believe that, if you do profess Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, then now we can turn to Ephesians 5 and we can be instructed on how it is that we are to live. Because we were once darkness, and now we've been transferred. We have become light in the Lord. See, Paul is clear about this because he's writing to the church the church that existed in Ephesus, a real church at a real point in time, and was dealing with some real challenges. Ephesus, as you might remember from one of our, the, the opening sermons on this series, was a very uh, a metropolitan city. It was a, uh, a, a city where there was all sorts of commerce going in and out of the city, and because of that, it was a very worldly place. The wor- it, it was it was center stage. It was it was like again, if you were to put Dallas or San Francisco or New York City or you know one of the Houston, any of those big major metropolitan port commerce heavy commerce cities. That's what Ephesus was. So it was a very worldly place, and because it was a worldly place, the church that had been established there, and now as the church was growing, was coming face to face with that world. And so Paul has written this letter to instruct them on who they are in Christ and then accordingly how they're supposed to live in this challenging place. Have you found yourself recently, Christian, coming up against the world and wondering which, where is where, where's the line going to be drawn? How am I supposed to live in this context in a, in a very worldly culture, a culture that does not acknowledge God? has moved on past sort of Christian thinking and and, and the thought and just gone completely in an an opposite direction. That's what Paul was dealing with. That's what this church was dealing with. And so in chapter 5, he speaks specifically to this area of sexual immorality and purity. And the first thing he begins with in verse 1, he says, Therefore that we are to be imitators of God. Imitators of God as beloved children. Who do we imitate? So often I love watching young children, mine are all grown now, so they don't do this quite as much, but when you you watch little ones, and I'm sure you've all seen the YouTube videos, they're really cute, where the young baby is mimicking dad and following along with what mom or dad are doing, they imitate children. So often they imitate us, they they watch the way that we, we move, they watch the way that we speak. In fact, children learn to talk by imitating and hearing the language of mom and dad. And so, children, we are, as children of God, we are to imitate God. We're to look like God. We're to follow the way that He would live. How do we know God well enough to imitate Him? We know His Word. He's given us His Word. He's given us the ability to know Him. I've talked before about this. One of my favorite books is J.I. Packer's Knowing God, and the reason that I love that book is it just expounds an entire book on this idea that we can know our Creator. And Packer unpacks it way better than I could ever do, just this idea that that should blow our minds. It should should freak us out a little bit that we can know God. But the fact is, He's given us His Word. He's given us the ability to know Him. And as we know God, then we can imitate Him. Why do we know? How how do we know that there are things that we should do and should not do? How do we know there are things that we should say and should not say? Again, some of that comes from our upbringing, our moral teaching, grounded most of uh, the time in the words of Scripture. But we know that as He has filled us with His Spirit, and He instructs us, and He teaches us, there's a reason. I was grilling it last night, and as I was getting the grill going and turning the meat over, I, I reached my hand in, and I'm trying to turn the meat, using some tongs to turn the meat, and my hand got hot. Now, why did I know to pull my hand back? So I why why would I I don't want to get burned. I I know this. I know this is the reaction that's going to take place if I do this. How do I know these things about life? I've spent time in God's word and I know and I have his spirit at work in me that when I get close to that heat, when I get close to this situation or that, the spirit of God informs me. It directs me. It corrects me. It says, "No, no, 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 no. Don't go there. Too close." You're going to get burned. But our flesh tries to stand and push back against that. No, no, no. You'll be all right. Just, you'll be fine. You can turn that. You can stick your hand in there just a little bit longer. We are to know God, and as we know God, we can imitate him as his children. And the way that we imitate him in verse 2, it it gets more specific in what, what it looks like as we imitate God. We walk in love. We walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. As we imitate God, we walk according to Christ and we live a life that is grounded and built on love. And what is love? The love that is described here? That Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. It's a life of sacrifice. It's a life of saying that God's ways, God's purposes, God's plans, God's instructions, everything from God is higher in authority than myself. And what does the world say? Again, the culture as we look around us Everything about the culture points to the value of the individual. You are more valuable than anyone else. What you desire is more important and more true than what anyone else might say. You, you, you is the word of the cultural today. It's all about you. It's all about what you want, what you think, what you believe. There is no longer any authority there. But what we are to do as we Christians, those of us who have been given life, who've been transferred from darkness into the light, we're to imitate God and we're to live a life like Christ, which was a life of sacrifice. He gave himself up for us. He's our model. So guess what? When our flesh begins to tempt us, when our flesh says, no, that fire's not as hot as you think it might be. You'll be okay. We say, no, it's not about me. I am going to follow Christ. I am going to choose His way. I'm going to sacrifice even my own, what kind of the fleshly desires of my heart so that I can be obedient to Christ. And as a result, this is what happens. Jesus, his sacrifice, it says, was a fragrant offering to God. And that is the life that we're called to lead. We're called to lead lives that are a fragrant offering to God. Romans 12.1, it'll be behind me on the screen here, I think. There it is. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We are to live lives of sacrifice. And what that means in this culture as we come face to face with what Paul is dealing with here is that we live lives that we say God's ways are higher than our ways. His truth is the truth. And we lay down all the desire, anything that comes into our hearts and minds, we lay that down and we live and we say, this is, our lives are yours, Lord. That's how we are to live. Amen. And so then he gets specific to the issue that this church, one of the issues this church was facing. As he considers, as he's already raised our attention to the idea that Christ and being imitators of Christ must come first. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Now, when he speaks these three things, sexual immorality, all impurity, and covetousness, those are all three symptoms of the same sin the same problem. This isn't a list of we have sexual immorality, and then impurity is something else, and then covetousness is something else beyond that. He's listing all three of those together as one symptom of the same sin issue, rooted primarily in sexual immorality. What he's saying there is that the problem of sexual immorality is rooted in the fact that our thoughts are not like the thoughts of God, we are not imitating God properly, and they have become impure. And as our thoughts and desires become impure, guess what? We become covetousness. We experience covetousness. We practice that. What does that look like? What is not mine I want. Where does sexual impurity find its roots? That that has not been given to me That that has not been entrusted to me is something that I want, and I covet that. And Paul is saying, God is saying, that those things can't even be named among us as is proper among saints. This type of immorality should not even be spoken of amongst the people of God. God's Word is clear, friends. Sexual immorality, the impurity of our day, we should flee from it. There should be strong opposition to it. And when I say strong opposition, I'm not speaking strong opposition to people. Hear me on this. Strong opposition to it within our own souls. We should rebel against it. When our our hands get close to that fire, we should say no and pull back. We should realize The pain and the suffering that comes with it. Now, so often when we think of this subject in church, we sometimes get a little bit uncomfortable. It might make some of you a little bit nervous. And sometimes we've gotten this wrong because we begin to think that the world has the lock on this subject matter, that we need to just leave that to the outsiders. We need to leave that. We don't need to speak about this, but here's the reality. Sex is a gift of God to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife. God's sexual ethic is much higher and much more beautiful and better than any sexual ethic this world has to offer. And we need to rightly see that. That His ways, again, are higher than our ways. And the way that we live our life, this is not something that is taboo or that we need to pull back from or that we need to be shy about. Yes, there is purity and those things involved, but what we need to recognize is that God's Word is the one that is the—He is the source. And He is the one who speaks highly of sex. He is the one who has made it a gift— It's not about do's and don'ts. This isn't some legalistic, if you want to do this, don't do that, all the ways that we are to live. This is about honoring Lord with our lives. And so, think about it this way. When we value something, what do we do with it? We esteem it. It's lifted high. I don't know if any of you are like me, but I used to collect baseball cards when I was a kid. And uh, Tops was you know the the big brand, and you used to buy this whole sleeve of Tops baseball cards, and I'd go flip through them, and I'd find any of them that I thought were worthwhile. I never got lucky and found any, but y- as you know, there's they, at least used to. I don't know if this is a reality even exists anymore, if this is a, a, a mechanism of trading. But in, in in my day, this there was this was a value system. There, cards were more valuable than other cards, and if and if I had the card that was the the, the most value, if I had a uh, 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 a Pudge Rodriguez rookie card, or a, or a, you know something. I'm trying to think of a current day ball player. You can tell how old I am here, but if I had that card that was valuable, I wanted to protect it. I didn't want it to get messed up. Guess what? I wouldn't carry it around. I wouldn't go and trade that. It would find a special place. Sometimes I'd even have this little glass case or this plastic acrylic case that I'd put that card in and I'd protect that card because I valued it. But the things that I don't care about, the cards that were all worthless to me, all of the rangers' cards. <laughs> they were terrible when I was a kid, so they didn't mean anything to me. I'd, tra- I'd-, I'd carry those things around, and do- I mean, passing them out like candy. It didn't matter to me. I didn't, ha- I didn't hold it or protect it in any sort of the way. God's thoughts, God has esteemed sex, God has esteemed our relationships with one another, and they are a, a protected c- a case They are set above. And you look at the world. What has the world done with sex? We trade it like candy. We treat it. We drag it through the mud. It has no value or meaning or purpose to anyone. It's essentially looked upon like any other commodity. Now you tell me, does the world or does God more highly value and esteem sex? God does. The world doesn't care anything about it. The world only cares about you. You thinking of you. And that's the lie that Satan tries to tempt us with, to believe, to cause us to think that we don't need to think rightly about these things. But God says that we should. And God's word is true. Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, should not be named among us as is proper among saints. He continues, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So he's just said that the actions, they should not have any place in the Christian church. Dealing and thinking about sex in a wrong way, and, 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 and the actions should not be—no impurity, no covetous, none of those things should exist. And then he goes on, he takes it a step further, and he says that the way that we speak is involved, the way that we think about these things. Let there be no filthiness, <clears throat> nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. He says, it's not just about what we do. Obviously, yes, that is very clearly at stake here, but it's the way that we think. And the the very end of that verse is very critical. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Don't speak filthy thoughts. Don't speak in such a way, don't deal with this subject matter flippantly, But deal with it, and when you think of it, let there be thanksgiving. Why? Because we recognize the gift that this is from God to us, and we understand the value that it holds, and so we are thankful, and we don't treat it as if something that we can just speak loosely about. You know what I talk flippantly about? Sports. Y'all know this. We, have a, we go to lunch or have a meal together, the, the conversation invariably will turn to the contract of a quarterback that I don't know and have no opportunity to gain any money from. Now, why would I... Spe- because that is... It's not significant to me. It's not something that, again, it's fun. It's something that is enjoyable just to kind of debate about and have good conversation, potentially. But it's not something that I think lightly of. I can assure you We're not having a conversation about sex with my wife over lunch. I know you're all sitting on pins and needles, very anxious right now. (laughs) She among the most of that. (laughs) Because that's not something that I deal with flippantly. That's not something that I drag through the mud and think small, think less than. I esteem her. I esteem and I give thanksgiving for her, the gift that she is, to God, from God to me. And so we think rightly of these things. We don't think less than. We don't treat them as these small subjects. And again, Christians, how often we fall down the slippery slope and we think that we can just speak and think and talk in ways that are unbecoming, and dishonor the Lord, and it's going to have no consequence. Here's what I can assure you. When I sit down with the individual who is broken, whose life has been destroyed, or soon will be destroyed because of his addiction to pornography, he didn't wake up there that morning. It was a long and winding road where the enemy convinced him or her that this was something that you could treat lightly. This was something that we didn't have to take seriously. This was just some, Everybody, you know, the church is just too stuffy about these things. I can assure you, friends, when I sit with the husband and wife that are reeling with the effects of adultery or other addiction, they didn't get there that morning. This weekend, I had the honor of officiating a wedding of one of our young people, and I spent a lot of time with them in the weeks leading up to their wedding day, and we talked all about their love and their commitment and how and their desire to honor the Lord and all those sorts of things, and, and I know for a fact that they are deeply in love with one another and deeply committed to one another. And do you know if it, for, God forbid, that if it were to go wrong for them, they're not going to arrive there tomorrow. It's going to be a long and winding road of forgetting God's Word, forgetting getting his authority in their lives, and they're going to find themselves tempted. And it's when we allow that kind of speech, those kinds of conversations, just to become part of our vernacular that we begin begin to uh, be inoculated. We don't realize how dangerous it is. But once again, God's word has spoken. He has said, Don't allow there to be filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. He doesn't do that because he's against you and your sexual relationship. No, he has given you, if you are married, a husband or a wife, if he has given you that gift, he is for you. It's a gift to celebrate and to celebrate with thanksgiving. But if not, we better be cautious. We better take God and his goodness to us at his word and say, you know what? That is not for me. And why does he say this? What is the end result? In verse five and six, he's very clear. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetousness, that is an idolater, idolizes these things, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Don't let the culture apologize for God on this. Don't let the culture convince you that we've gotten it wrong and God doesn't know what he's talking about or what is best. No, realize it's clear. We have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God if that is who we are. Now, again, I want to speak to identity here because God's word speaks to identity. We clearly, I confess before the church, and we all could confess this, that we have immoral, impure thoughts, that there has been language that has come out of my mouth that has not been honoring to God. All of those things are the truth about who I am. All of those things are the truth about all of us. This is not saying that we are not going to have to battle with our flesh. This is not saying that we're not going to have to be on guard against these things. What he's saying is living in these ways in unrepentance, that is who has no share in the kingdom of God. It's about a life of repentance. It's about a life of recognizing that God's word is the authority. This is how we know we are in Christ. We know that we are in Christ because we come face to face, more than likely, most of us on a daily basis with these types of temptations, these types of challenges against our flesh. And for those of us who are in Christ, what we say is God's ways are higher than my ways. We go back to the beginning, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. We regularly lay down our lives before God. So when we come face to face with that temptation, we're in that conversation and the conversation takes a turn and more than likely, I'm sure you're, you're picturing it right now. You're having this conversation with a friend, and the conversation begins to turn towards impurity, towards speech that would be unbecoming of a Christian, and the temptation is just to go with the flow, just to continue down the thread. But the Holy Spirit of God gives you a check in your spirit and says, no, 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 no. Stop. Say no. Back out. Pull away that's what the christian does and we say to ourselves yes lord obedience imitating you is what i'm supposed to do for those that have no share in the kingdom of god they never have that thought that guard that 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 caution of the spirit and they just go full bore and that's how our culture has become so divided And this has become so pervasive. Sexual purity must be a mark of the church. If our witness and who we are and who we testify to is at stake, it has to be something that we hold in high regard. We have to recognize the seriousness of this. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. The wrath of God against these things comes. So, what do we do? We live a life that says, I will imitate Christ, I will follow Christ. I will allow His Word and His instructions to be the answer. You, you want to know how to live? You want to know what it should look like? Our thoughts, our speech, our actions should be pure. We should be known as a holy and righteous people, set apart not because we always do the right thing, but because we live lives submitted completely to God's word and to his authority. And when we find ourselves tempted and drawn into these kinds of conversations, filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, which are out of place, our hearts and minds should say, No, caution, it's hot. Pull your hand back. Abstain. And allow that, just that pulling back to be a a tangible witness to where your faith lies. Are you so concerned about being rejected by someone whose mouth is filthy and is full of crude talk that you would reject and turn away from God's holy word? Is that the people that we are? Or do we rightly esteem and understand the value of God's Word and His authority and say, I'm going to listen to Him and I'm going to follow Him. I'm going to live as best I can, repentant and quick to live a life and to speak and to follow a life of purity. Let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Holy Spirit of God, I thank you for the conviction that your word brings. Lord, I know that because of the pervasiveness of these sin issues, This is, a, this is an uncomfortable subject matter. We've allowed the world to convince us that they know better about this than you do, God. So I just begin, I confess that I need, I need to listen to your word more. I need to esteem the things that you esteem, to value the things that you value. So I pray that as we have collectively fallen under conviction through the teaching of your word that you would not just leave us there, Lord, but that you would, you would remind us of the Redeemer. You would remind us of your love for us. You laid down your life for us, Lord Jesus. You laid down your life on the cross because you knew the temptations that we would face, temptations that we've more than likely come face-to-face with this morning. So I pray more than anything that no soul in this room would find or believe that they have right standing with you, God, because they have maintained any proper degree of purity. That's impossible for us. But that we would find our hope, first of all, in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And I pray that you would help us as a people to be holy. Oh Lord, we, this world needs your church to take a stand for what we have been taught through your word. I think of how flippantly impure, unholy talk and thought just gets tossed around. Help us to be a people who live differently. Not so that we can be thought of as the right religious people. No, not at all, God. So that we, so that we can testify to you. So that we can testify with our lives and say that, that your ways are better than ours. Holy Spirit, we need your help. We need your help, Lord. Help us to be obedient. Pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Oh, taste Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sundays at 1030 a.m. at 2950 Cardinal Drive, and we'd love to meet you this coming week. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.